Delaware's Rick Jensen. On 1150 AM, 101.7 FM, WDEL. You know, we've had quite a few track stars here in Delaware, but do you know that now when they compete, they have to go down to Maryland? Yeah. Well, that's where the DIAA State Indoor Track and Field Championships are held. Could you imagine? I mean, uh, I thought it was just the kids who were swimming had to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go and, and compete. <laughs> you know, no, 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 no. you got to travel nowadays to do this. And there's a group here in Delaware that wants to build a banked indoor track because we don't have one. Two folks on the phone right now that I want to get to are pretty well-known track stars. Okay, very well-known. One is Antoine Maybank. This guy is a gold medalist. He's uh, coaching sprints over at Tattnall right now. How they grabbed him, I'm going to have to ask him because uh, Antoine, I mean... You know, you're you're one of these people here in Delaware that not everybody knows about, unless of course they're really into track and field, because uh, you broke the 27 foot barrier in the long drop, uh, the sub 45 second barrier in the 400 meter dash, and I want to get my good friend Stephanie Whippy on and see if she could actually uh, you know take you on in a in a sprint. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing well. Yourself this morning, Rick. I'm I'm doing great, and. Uh, I, I know that, well, universities shut down their indoor track years ago and all, and I had no idea that this is the state in, in which we are with this. Uh, let me get Stephanie Whitby on, and then we're also going to get to a man who's uh, who knows how to market these things and uh, and make it happen. Hey, Steph, how are you? Hi, Rick. I'm great. Great to talk to you again. It's been a while. I know. Stephanie Whitby had been on, had been on the program, actually, for about, uh, I don't know, what, two or three hundred years. And about that, yeah. About that. We had a great time. But no, she, she's got, like, you know, I used to always uh, call you the track star and you downplay it. But seriously, um, 20 years track and field coaching. You coached uh, high school at Notre Dame Academy in Radnor, Ursuline here in Wilmington, and uh, head of men's and women's track and field and cross country at Temple University. And then you came over here to uh, Wilmington University to do alumni relations, and now you're director of athletics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what do you think your chances are in uh, in the hurdles uh, with uh, Antoine? Um, I, I think if I could have him hold like maybe a 50-pound weight while uh, <laughs> while we ran, I might have a chance. Um, and if I had a you know, good 10-second 10, 10 start. Okay, uh, uh, Antoine, what's your inseam? <laughs> well, I am I'm 34 for the inseam, so I just easily step across the hurdle. Yeah, okay, and, and Stephanie? It's the only time I've asked a woman, what's your inseam? You know, it feels wrong. <laughs> well, let's just say I'm so short, I probably shouldn't have ever done the hurdles. But. <laughs> yeah, but, but let me ask you this as well, because you're both coaching... And and what happens when you're coaching these young students, great athletes, and I remember talking with track stars a few years ago and saying that, look, uh, track and field has students with the highest GPAs all around the country in the college level, but I want to go right to, uh, to Stephanie first and then to Antoine. What happens when you have track stars who want to compete and we don't have this, you know, a banked indoor track here in Delaware? Well, I think, you know, Rick, and you and I have talked a lot of times about athletics in general and what an important role it plays in the lives of so many students. And when you don't have a facility that's right here in your own state, what you find is that all these student athletes are waking up, as you referenced earlier, at 4 o'clock in the morning to get ready to get on the road to get to a facility that is 
at its closest an hour and 45 minutes to two hours and plus just to be able to compete on, uh, you know, on the weekends. And, um, and so you're talking and track and field is one of those events or one of those sports where many times the, the trials are on a, on a Friday and the finals are on a Saturday. So you're talking about a multiple day meet that individuals are getting up early to be able to get there and then coming home late and then doing that all over again, or they're needing to find accommodations wherever it is that they're competing to stay overnight so that they're ready to go for their events the next day. Antoine, um, while you're coaching at Tattnall, are you seeing kids who are having a lot of difficulties actually being able to compete? And I know they want to compete because there's scholarships at others in other states, uh, you know, for track and field. I don't know. What does university have scholarship for track and field, uh, Steph? We do. We just started track and field program two and a half years ago. Cool. Okay. So this is really important to a lot of people, Antoine. And I'm wondering, uh, what are some of the challenges you're seeing uh, the kids encountering who are really, really good and certainly can compete on a national level? I mean, some of the biggest challenges right now is that track and field itself is a numbers game. So everyone can see what the times are that the athletes are running, but the exposure itself being placed head-to-head to some of the best athletes in the country would make it that much better. And for our athletes right now, we have to travel such a far distance just because we don't have a facility within the state that's going to draw that talent from other states that can actually come and compete on a big stage. I mean, over the last couple of years, I've had athletes who've got scholarship to Indiana State, Columbia University of New York, Richmond University. So I've got athletes who are going to school on scholarships, but it's just so much effort to get them seen by all these coaches, which makes us get up those early mornings, like Stephen was saying, and driving many hours and doing those two-day meets just so they can actually be exposed to those coaches who are looking for athletes with that talent. By the way, it's, uh, it's uh, Olympic gold medalist uh, Antoine Maybank, along with uh, Stephanie Whitby of Wilmington University, who has uh, competed very successfully, I will say, She's a star. I've just known Steph for a long time. I like to tease her. And, uh, and also has been a track coach for a long time, long time as well. The point is you have a group of people here who are trying to get together um, to put together an indoor banked track. And one person who's leading this way has a lot of experience in, uh, well, I'd say professional sports as well. It's Walter Franco. He's with Victus Advisors, and it's a marketing firm. They did a market demand study for the Virginia Beach Sports Complex. Huge, just uh, ginormous, and and they're working on this right now. But before that, uh, he was with the much maligned and little-known Utah Grizzlies, which I have actually happened upon on ESPN2. And <laughs> I want you to know that it's a good hockey, good stuff, fun to watch, my friend. So how are you? I'm doing great, uh, Rick. Thank you. And a uh, pleasure to be on with Antoine and Steph. And, but you know what? Minor league hockey is definitely a passion sport. And so uh, don't, don't step on it too much, all right? Not at all. Not at all. It, it, was, it was great. It's, it's awesome. Um, I mean, right here, for, you look at a lot of minor league uh, teams and, and players, and sure, you recognize sure. a lot of skill, a lot of talent, whether um, you know, it's the 76ers minor league team, if you will, here in, in Wilmington. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've, we've got, uh, of course, the Blue Rocks, and honestly, there's nothing better than like going to a Blue Rocks game with 75 it's degrees. It's good. it's good family entertainment, that's for sure. So uh, what makes you think that there's actually a market here for um, 
an indoor sports complex or perhaps uh, the banked indoor track that might include some other kinds of fields? Yeah, so this is uh, that's a great question, Rick. And we, we conduct these types of uh, market uh, studies throughout the country. And as you had mentioned, we had conducted the same study for the Virginia Beach Sports Center, which was just opened about five months ago. And essentially what we're looking at is uh, we, we take primary and, and secondary data. And when we talk about primaries, we actually make in-state visits or in-community visits to speak with stakeholders, speak with user groups to understand, you know, what the local – inventory is for these types of facilities if there is a demand if it's being met if it's underserved and in in visiting uh, we actually were in uh, the state of delaware in july to, to kick off this project and we met with various stakeholders virtually at the time of course uh to understand where they were traveling to we surveyed over 30 indoor track coaches and as antoine Stepp says they're used to traveling out of state you know two to three hours at minimum uh, you have the, uh, you know, the high school state championships, which are in Maryland, which basically is treating Delaware high school students as Maryland high school students. Yeah. And so uh, I think what we're looking at here is a, a true multi-use venue that from December to March would be principally used for indoor track. Um, and then in the other months, it could be for other indoor sports, such as basketball, volleyball and wrestling. Uh, where, you know, there's really no type of facility like this in the whole state. And so we're not just talking about looking at what the local community benefit could be, but also what the economic impact could be for at the state level as well for bringing in uh, all these types of events or new events from uh, and, and, and bringing people from in and out of state. All right, Walter, while you're the market researcher, I'm going to ask a question. And if it's mm-hmm. Stephanie or, uh, or Antoine, or Walter who wants to answer a question, just like chime in by saying your name, like, oh, Steph, I got this, you know, like, like that. And, and here is the question. Um, about how many high school athletes do you think would be using this as a track facility between December and March? I, I can take that real quick, and I'll tell you, this is Walter. So uh, we, in the research that we conducted, uh, this is from the most recently available information from the high school, uh, the National High School Association, is that there's 1,700 uh, indoor track uh, participants in the state of Delaware. So that's boys and girls. And so r- realistically speaking, you would capture the majority of those students using this facility, regardless of whether it's, whether it's located in the state. And uh, that, that's my quick answer. I don't know if Steph or Antoine want to add on that. This is Steph, and I can just jump on that to say the facility itself could also and would also be um, used for other events in addition to indoor track and field. But, you know, wrestling and, uh, as we all know, the Beast of the East is a, is a huge competition that brings not only uh, a number of uh, student-athletes but also parents and spectators, as well as volleyball and basketball. And, and we know, especially in the volleyball world, there's all types of competitions on the weekends that parents travel up and down, you know, the Northeast Corridor as well for those competitions for volleyball and basketball. Antoine, what would it mean for the students at Tattnall and other schools you compete with? The biggest thing for me would be the fact that the parents would have the opportunity to sit there and watch their child compete on that level and see the excitement and joy on their faces. Is one of the biggest things that I get requests from parents is could you please take a video or a photo of my child and actually send it to me because they are not able to make those long trips early in the morning to see their kids compete every weekend. Walter, with the Victus question, so when it comes to NCAA and uh, 
and and and, and the uh, facilities they have, whether they're arenas mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, how many seats are are the smallest ones that uh, that they recognize as being competitive? So, uh, to host NCAA national championship events for Division One, you'd have to have probably a minimum of thirty five hundred seats for Division Two, II, Division Three. They don't get asterisks. You're talking about, you know, 2,000 to 2,500. But that's just th- those events typically are held uh, and are bid out over four to five year cycles. So you're probably not one venue is not going to host the Division One National Championships every, every year. You're going to have to rotate out every three to four years. But really what this facility, in addition to hosting these types of national championships, you're also looking to bid for conference championships, which can technically be held every year at one facility, and also high school events, AAU events, USA track and field events, uh, professional events. And so um, this is a facility I think the aim from the Intertrack Delaware board uh, is to really make it a facility that can host any type of indoor track event uh, uh, every year. Before we get to the cost and whose money we playing with here and whose money do you think we're playing with here, I want to get to another guy who's a pretty well-known Delaware track store as well, Tim Bamforth. He's a star runner at Cape, uh, at, well, we always say Cape, but uh, Cape Henlopen. Uh, four state titles, six conference titles, uh, track coach, guy of the Vikings to three state championship titles. And and he just keeps on running. And I'm glad you stopped for a moment, Tim, to be on the phone. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thanks for having everyone on the call. So uh, you heard the questions I asked uh, the others, Stephanie at Wilmington University and Antoine Maybach at Tattnall, Walter with uh, Victus. But you know, there you are at Cape. Um, what does it mean to your kids? And, and how much farther do they have to travel? Because, well, they're down at Cape Henlopen. Right. So... <clears throat> For us, it's a little different because we're um, an hour and a half from, uh, say, Antoine and Stephanie. So for us, it's almost a 24-hour affair to go to a place like the Armory or Ocean Breeze. We're up at 4 a.m. to get to a meet at, you know, by 8 o'clock and have the kids start warming up. And we're at the meet all day. And by the time we stop for dinner and get home, it's after midnight. So, you know, I have kids... I have kids doing homework on the way home in the dark in the van and, and trying to keep their studies up. And for us, they're leaving at 4 and getting back at midnight. That's a long day. Yeah. And, and for and, us, really, time is time is so crucial. And, and um, you know, these kids spending that much time, and for us, it's seven hours in a van. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a lot of time that they're spending. I think you all have established the need, and uh, I think, uh, Walter, you've established the fact that there's a market for this. So how much would such a, a banked indoor track cost? Um, well, I mean, it definitely depends on the scale. So we are, uh, we've explored different options that uh, Indoor Track Delaware can explore. So the two models that we have looked at and analyzed are the Birmingham Complex, uh, which is in Alabama, uh, which is a single-use facility where between December and March it's strictly indoor track, and then the rest of the month is um, other other indoor sports. And then you have the Virginia Speed Sports model where you have two separate uh, you know spaces under the same roof, one for indoor track that can also be used for other sports, but then on the the other side you can use indoor sports year-round. So that's on the on the on the larger uh, cost side. Uh, which was over uh, $60 million, and then you're looking more on the lower end, the 20s, uh, potentially for the Birmingham uh, Crossflex example. But, I mean, those are just preliminary numbers. A lot of, uh, you know, 
factors that go into what this could cost in Delaware. At this point, we're very much still in the exploratory phase where it needs more additional analysis to look at where the appropriate site would be, additional factors with, you know, how it would be furnished inside with certain amenities. And so, um, you know, I think it's too early to just say, hey, this is exactly how much it would cost to have a facility in Delaware. Okay, so um, I would imagine that Stephanie and Antoine would like to have this in North Wilmington. And, uh, Tim, you have it down there, Cape Henlopen at the southern Cape of the Bay. Um, Victor, I'm sorry for Walter. Walter, yeah. uh, what locations might you be looking at? So, like I said, we, we, when we came in July, we went to every county. Uh, we walked across, we, you know, we took a tour around Riverfront here in Wilmington. We were by... Uh, Went down to visit DE Turf, which is a facility in, in Kent County. Also looked around uh, Dover Speedway just to get a label on there. And also in uh, Sussex County, uh, looked at what was being happening, what was happening with Sandhill Fields, and looked around the beaches. And so, I mean, we we analyzed each from a uh, geographic standpoint, distance to international hotel, uh, excuse me, airports, the inventory of hotels in the area. Every community has comparative advantages. And so um, at this point, the important question is, where is their land available? And, uh, you know, you, for the facility of this size and scale, you're looking at at least 15 to 20 acres. And so, you know, in the south, there might be more land available. Uh, in the north, uh, you know, land might be more limited and more costly. So I think it's a matter of finding the right partners, seeing where, where it makes the most sense. And that's going to require a little bit more analysis uh, uh, from the project uh, stakeholders at this point. If you just tuned in, uh, you're listening to folks who are organizing Indoor Track Delaware because we don't have a an indoor banked track here in the state of Delaware. And some pretty big names in track here. Antoine Maybank, of course, uh, he's over at Tattnall now, after having been a uh, gold medalist in track and field. Stephanie Whitby, coach for many, many years, competitive as well in uh, track and field. Uh, you just heard the voice of Walter Franco. He's with the Victus Advisors. And Tim Banforth, uh, also a star runner at Cape Henlopen, four state titles, six conference titles. Whose money are we playing with, guys? Are uh, we looking at private investors? Government-issued bonds, uh, you're hoping someone's going to increase taxes. What are we looking at? I want to go right to Walter on this. Yeah, and like I said, um, I hate to uh, – we don't have an answer for that yet because we're still exploring that. We, we In this report that we presented to the board, uh, we laid out all the options uh, that we've seen in other communities where there is bond options sometimes. What you're seeing more often now is a lot of private uh, public-private partnerships where you're uh, getting developers that are interested in developing certain parts of land in certain communities. And so um, that's – at this point right now, we're just trying to raise public awareness to say, hey, you know – Based on our studies, based on this market demand, there is definitely need for this. And uh, like I said, just raising awareness right now. And as we continue to explore potential sites, uh, potential uh, land options, potential designs, the board still needs to engage with an architecture firm and an engineering firm to get more cost analysis and estimates. And at that point, I think we can start to explore more profoundly, you know, you know, what, All right, so let me ask. Let me ask this question: uh, Who's fund? Who's you know? You don't work for free, and you do a very important work. Sure, who's sure. who's funding all this background work? Uh, so, principally, it's the board who has uh, received funding from various sources uh, through the community with project stakeholders. Um, I, I can't necessarily give you a, a, a trail by trail of who exactly, because the, the board hired us, and they're, they're the ones that uh, collected the funds from various uh, project stakeholders that, and interested 
parties in this project. Yeah. Well, no, no, I'm just wondering because, you know, you have a whole lot of different funding sources for different projects sure. that, that may or may not be related. For example, you know, Coke and Pepsi fight each other to put up dispensaries uh, all around different cities all around the country. Toyota is now paying for uh, for vehicles to go onto the beaches in San Diego. And I would think like right. Nike and Reebok would certainly be fighting as one of the uh, sponsors. But, of course, you got the energy drinks, uh, you know, monsters yeah. out there to, in a big way. And I would are these the kinds of businesses that you'd be looking for to actually have ongoing annual or multi-annual contracts to keep this thing going, especially after it's been built. Absolutely, and and, and some and there's various ways where that can happen. Sometimes you'll see, you know, the facility could have a naming rights partner like that. So, for example, it could be the Nike indoor, you know, sports facility. Uh, and usually with those, you have some type of additional partnerships that could, you know, include like a storefront property on site for Nike, or you might have a healthcare system sponsor it and it'll have a health clinic or Instacare office within the facility. And so there's very many different approaches. And like I said, we do these studies throughout the country. So every community is unique and has different needs and has different challenges. And so this is part of our analysis and it's not something that we do in a few weeks. It takes several months uh, and longer to really um, understand uh, what the challenges, what the opportunities are, and ultimately recommend uh, an, a best approach for the client. And yeah. at that point, it's up to them to decide how to move forward. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned that. It makes sense to me. I think that uh, Tim Banforth uh, and uh, Antoine Maybank and Stephanie Whippy could all say, yeah, um, physical rehab and chiropractors, we'd like to have them as sponsors too, please. Yeah. That'd yeah. be yeah. lovely. <laughs> all right. Hey, All right. Just a quick, quick update um, to let you know, too. So far, we've done a couple of fundraisers, and we have um, just about 120 donors that have contributed so far to this initiative, to this project. And something else to keep in mind, too, is we talk about the need, but this is also a market opportunity. When you think about all of the athletes that we put on the road and we send all these different states, um, and the overnights that they do in the hotels there and the food that they get at the restaurants there, they have delivered to them at the various facilities. These are all opportunities that we are sending our Delawareans out of the state to then benefit all these other states around us. And this is, you know, I look at this as an opportunity for Delaware to be able to not only have the pride of ownership of having a building like this and a facility like this and to be able to highlight the athletes that are in our state, but then what it could do to the community around us, especially as a, as a market opportunity. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're the one who mentioned the beast of the East. Uh, there are very few college level uh, and, and high school level uh, meets that, that are you know, that well-known and that famous. I appreciate that. Stephanie Whitby mm-hmm. of Wilmington University. Uh, Antoine, last word? Well, I agree with everything that Stephanie said just now. Everything that's actually being spent outside of state would actually come back to the state of Delaware itself, would actually make additional businesses in this area go from restaurants to hotels, especially the overnight trips for people who have to stay here within the state. So it could be a big driving point to increase revenue for the state of Delaware. Antoine is also vice president of Indoor Track Delaware as well, Olympic track and field gold medalist. And uh, I don't know, Tim, how does it feel following Antoine on the, on the call when he said, okay, there's the gold medalist, now here's Tim. <laughs> Tim Benforth. Yeah. yeah. I, I always joke that it's hard to follow Antoine. Um, but um, I agree with Antoine Stephanie trying to keep the money in the state is very important. And I, I think we have a need and um, 
you know, William hit on some really good topics. So, he really uh, did. Hey, listen, uh, guys, we're slapped out of time here. And, uh, Walter, I thank you. Please uh, keep us informed here at WDL and the Jensen Show. That's what's going on. And Tim Banforth, he's down at Cape Henlope and uh, coaching and track and field teams. Also uh, four state titles and six conference titles. And Walter Franco. Victus Advisors. Thanks so much, everybody, and thanks for keeping us informed here on WDEL.